Welcome back to the 10 Blocks podcast. This is Paul Beston, the managing editor of City Journal, stepping in for Brian Anderson. Today on the show, I'll talk with Milton Ezrati. Milton writes about economic policy for City Journal and other publications, and he's here to give us an update on the trade standoff between China and the United States. The issue has heated up again, so we thought it would be a good time to bring Milton back and get some insight on what's happening and what it means. We'll take a quick break and return with Milton Ezrati after the music. This is Paul Dustin. Joining me in the studio today to talk about U.S.-China trade issues is Milton Ezrati. Milton is a nationally regarded economist who's had a successful career in the financial industry. Retiring as the chief economist for investment manager Lord Abbott in 2015, he now serves as chief economist for Vested, and he always has a valuable insight on what's going on in the global economy. You can follow him on Twitter, at Milton Ezrati. And this is, in fact, his third time on the 10 Blocks podcast, and we're thrilled to have him back. Milton, thanks for being here today. It's a pleasure. So trade policy and monetary policy are subjects that I think most laymen understand only dimly, if I'm anything like most laymen. Uh, For the benefit of a general audience, just to start us off here, could you give a kind of overview of the U.S.-China trade dispute, starting from let's make it simple, from when Trump took office. So in other words, how did his policies break from the past or purport to break from the past? How have they unfolded during his tenure up to now? And and where do we stand in the current situation? Well, uh, Trump actually did not um, invent the issues. He did not invent the issues we're dealing with now. I mean, the complaints that his administration is making against China are um, almost as old as the trade relationship. Um, what Trump is doing is that, well, let me step back a moment. And there are there are three issues that, that have plagued this relationship from the start. The first is that China sells us a lot more than we sell them. That's the trade imbalance. Uh, the other thing is, is that China has laws that insist that anyone doing business in China must have a Chinese partner and must be completely transparent to that partner. And the third issue, which everyone has complained about, all presidents and all administrations, is that China steals technology. I mean, everyone does it. All countries do it, sometimes privately, sometimes the government. Um, but China is doing it on an uh, industrial level. Uh, at least that's the complaint. And the difference between Trump and other administrations is that Trump refuses to accept Chinese promises that they will try harder. And he's insisting, or his negotiating team is insisting that China change its laws about partnering in China and about uh, the theft of technology. Uh, And this has become a major sticking point because the Chinese see that as as an abridgment of their sovereignty. And those are the reasons these negotiations have not moved Uh, despite the fact that there are tremendous economic reasons for both sides to want them to move. There's also the matter of the Trump tariffs, right? I mean, there's first imposed, is it 2018 is the first round of them? In fall of 2018, yeah. Right. And now, just last week, the president announced another round of new tariffs, which then seemed to prompt the Chinese response uh, this week regarding 
the currency, but you 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 were suggesting to me that there may not be as much to that as meets the eye. Well, uh, Trump has used the tariffs. That's that's his lever. Uh, he hasn't uh, threatened the he has threatened Chinese, but other presidents have threatened some kind of trade restrictions in order to get the Chinese to move. Trump, in, as is his wont, is doing this more boldly, more loudly, and in fact, he's put tariffs on in the uh, fall of 2018. Right. He threatened tariffs, then he withdrew them because the Chinese right. acted in a conciliatory way, and now he's threatening again. And putting them on. And if the second round went into effect, how do they differ from the, the first round? There's more the, of a consumer impact, isn't there? Yeah, there'd be more, more goods and higher rates. Uh, up to now, do you see evidence uh, that the, Trump, the tougher trade, Trump trade policies have had an impact on the Chinese economy? We all know the Chinese economy's growth has slowed dramatically and that they're struggling with that. Uh, wh what do you see in terms of evidence uh, of, of impact, if any, on the Chinese economy up to well, now? It has affected yeah. the Chinese economy. Um, there are other reasons China is slowing, but the effects of these tariffs and the uh, <clears throat> lack of clarity on the future, which is just as important as the immediate effects of the, of the tariffs, uh, have affected the Chinese economy. Uh, the, the official statistics are hard to see through, but things like oil consumption, things like auto sales, where we can get independent numbers are suggesting that the effect might be tremendous. There are some provinces in China, the more industrial ones, where auto sales have been cut in half as a consequence of the tariffs that went on at the end of 2018, just to today. Uh, there are also, there's also a lot of evidence, most of it is anecdotal, uh, but it's real, uh, of Chinese firms moving moving out of China to avoid uh, the tariffs. Now, they have other reasons to leave China because wages have been rising rapidly in China, certainly compared with places like Indonesia and Vietnam and Cambodia. Um, but they're also leaving to avoid the tariffs. Now, there's some subterfuge there. They're setting up uh, some facility in Vietnam and shipping the Chinese goods to Vietnam to then be shipped to the United right. States. <clears throat> but it's clear if this became a uh, ongoing thing that the Chinese firms would be actually setting up operations outside China. So there has been quite an effect on the Chinese economy. How about on the American economy? I mean, you've written for us uh, a number of pieces over the last year, year and a half as these things have unfolded. And um, I think it's my assessment you've taken a, a fairly skeptical view of Trump's tariffs, but at the same time, a very realistic one. I think one of the phrases in your pieces was that the, the impact it would have would be neither neither positive nor catastrophic, you know, that, that up, at least the first round of them. But another round of tariffs with more of a consumer impact may, may have more negative effects. Well, um, I, I, there, will, there will be a negative effect, but it will be relatively small. I think the important statistics in this regard are that the United States... Um, effectively exports about 12% of the economy and only less than 8% of that goes to China. So from a industrial side, from a, um, a, pro a production side, it's, it's about 1%. 1% is not a small number, um, but it, it is a lot less than it is for the Chinese. On the consumer side, actually, this decline in the value of the yuan or renminbi or whatever you want to call it, this decline in the Chinese currency has actually offset the um, 
not the, the just today's movement, but the long-term decline that has actually offset a lot of the tariffs. So American consumers or business people who are paying the higher tariff on Chinese goods are getting it that much cheaper in China because of the decline in the value of the currency. So it's not really affecting us in that respect. The inflationary effect and the, consume, the cost of living effect just isn't there. How do you interpret this latest move that's just been in the news uh, regarding the, the yuan that the Chinese have made, in, well, in, which seems to be a response at least uh, you know, in, immediately to uh, Trump's tariff announcement of late last week? It is indeed. Uh, the Chinese actually – to say that the Chinese have devalued their currency would be – uh, misleading. They, the currency has come under downward pressure because of the effects on the Chinese economy, because of the trade uh, conflict. Uh, the Chinese have resisted that largely because they've been afraid that a lot of wealth will leave the country uh, if people see their global buying power being lost in Chinese assets. Um, but they allowed it to come down. The market is pushing the yuan down because China's economy is facing hard times in right. large part because of the tariffs and the Chinese allowed this. They allowed it to offset the effect of the tariffs. But I think they also allowed it in some respects you might say it's a sign of desperation. They've mm -hmm. been playing a tit-for-tat game with the United States on tariffs and because they buy so little from the United States and a good portion Almost a third of what they buy from the United States are inputs to goods that they then sell the world, that the Chinese really do not have capability of playing this game of you put a tariff on us, we'll put a tariff on you. So this is really their only option to punish the United States. Right. And, you know, the the three characteristics you mentioned at the outset of this, this dispute, the trade imbalance, the Chinese laws, and then the IP theft, the intellectual property theft, that's another strand of this trade this trade dispute, isn't it? Because there's a lot of uh, argument concerning the Chinese telecom giant uh, Huawei, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, which the administration had put on a list, um, as I understand it, restricting its access to American technology, particularly chips and software. And the concern on the American side was that was about cybersecurity, I believe, with with Huawei, that the the Trump administration is considering now or has been giving special licenses to U.S. firms to allow them to sell to the Chinese uh, company. But is that – that's all part of this trade agreement, which up to now is – you know, it, it has not been signed. So that, that is hanging in the balance, and that's a pretty big piece. It is. And I would describe it, although I, I don't have um, uh, any connections in the White House, it would seem to me that this is a bargaining chip. Uh, this is something that Trump can give the Chinese in return for what he from what for what he wants from them. Mm. But there is, I mean, that's that that's kind of part of a whole broader concern with China regarding cyber theft, though, right? I mean, this is not exactly a small topic as concerns. No, China. It, it, it's one of um, the big issues, and um, what the, what Trump is is his negotiating team has has said that that China, in order to get the deal with the United States, actually has to change its laws. Right. And, um, and that would be that this telecom company – see, I'm worried about how I pronounce it too yeah. – this telecom <laughs> company would um, be subject to Chinese law if there was this cyber theft, uh, even if it was in the United States. Right now, it isn't. 
Indeed, it might be actually right. promoted by Beijing for all we know. Right. Um, so uh, that's been one of the demands. One of the reasons the Chinese have been so resistant is because that they see as an infringement on their sovereignty. Now, another sticking point, at least one that pops up in, in a lot of the news stories, is Trump's insistence that China purchase more American agricultural products. Have you Is that something you've you've thought about? I mean, is that is that another is that a, a, a big issue for the president and the administration? Do you think, or is that another just well, kind I, of a small <clears throat> component? Excuse me. I think I think he wants to. First of all, it's a constituency of his. Absolutely. But yeah. it's also what we can sell the Chinese. This is where we have a clear advantage. They need it. We have it. We can sell it. Uh, asking the Chinese to buy American steel or American. Um, uh, uh, <clears throat> whatever else, appliances, is a tougher pull than the food, the agriculture. So that's where he's, you know, he said, if you right. promise to buy so much, that will satisfy us on this negotiation. Right. Uh, you, in one of your earlier pieces for us, you kind of speculated about whether Trump was, through his policies, trying to uh, kind of return to an older concept of free trade, an older idea of free trade um, through through the, the, the policies he was taking, as opposed to the more recent ones where free trade was used kind of rhetorically, but in effect, it, it operated through agreements, uh, preferential trade agreements or PTAs, in which there's sort of high barriers of entry to outsiders. And you you freely admitted that you 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 weren't sure whether that was really Trump's design or not, but that that was a possibility. Do you have after nearly three years of watching Trump on this topic? Do you do you feel you have any clearer sense of uh, whether he has a consistent view of this, or or what is your take on what his goal might be in, in um, this area? And that's a great question. No, I have no clearer sense, uh, and I'm not sure he has a consistent well, approach. Right. Uh, he clearly is an economic nationalist, and yeah. he will pull whatever lever he thinks will help the country and the Trump administration. Um, the The reason I, I, I wrote about that initially is actually some of the remarks he made at the G7 Accord. Uh, when he walked out, he said to them, I want to get rid of tariffs across the board everywhere. Uh, you people want to play games. And when you're ready to actually talk about free trade, I'll do it. And that harkened back to the U.S. position in the uh, immediate post-World War II period when the United States uh, pressured what was then the general agreements on tariffs and trade and is now the World Trade Organization to reduce tariffs unilaterally, not, not unilaterally, universally, excuse me, uh, across the world. That ended in the 80s, and we started signing preferential trade agreements where we would have a special deal with a group of countries. The biggest preferential trade agreement in the world is the European Union, which, of course, gives all the members preference and has a tariff wall with the rest of the world. I want to just quote you briefly something you wrote for us last year because it may be uh, relevant as we watch and wait and see how things are going to play out here. Um, and you wrote... Some suggest that Beijing hopes to buy time until a Democrat wins the White House, presumably someone more tractable than Trump. But that's far from assured and a long way off, even if it happens in 2020. If China's team made a calculated error, it may have rested on the hope that Trump wanted a deal badly enough to accept Chinese conditions. If that was what Xi believed, he was clearly wrong. 
And I, I still hold that way. I mean, he is trying to up the ante. He's trying to inflict as much pain on Trump as he can. And I do believe he's also stalling. Um, but it's apparent that this is not going to happen. Trump knows that even though the U.S. economy would suffer in this trade war, China will suffer that much more. He he has the whip hand. He's made it clear he knows it, and the statistics support him in that contention. That doesn't mean it will be painless. But Right. Um, well, that was going to be my next question. It's just a, a sort of a blunt force question in, in terms of which economy has the upper hand in this dispute, and it sounds like it's the United States. By, uh, by a long shot. Right, right. And if you were Trump's trade and economic policy point man, Milton, what would, what would you be advising the president well, I would resign for one. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would actually be saying to him that uh, the Chinese want this deal. They need Z, especially with this stuff that's going on in Hong Kong. He needs some face saving. He can't appear to uh, v- bow to Trump uh, in any way. So he needs some face-saving. So instead of the bluster, which Trump does so well, uh, and the threats of still more tariffs, if he would give him a bolt hole somewhere or some way he could save face and give the administration what it wants. Um, Now, I don't know what that would be. I'm not a diplomat, but uh, the language is infinitely flexible in how to do these things. And if, if I were advising him, I would be saying, don't bluster so much. Give... Z, a bolt hole. Mm. I realize this question is out of your particular expertise, but as you look at 2020, which we're all obviously starting to think about, uh, how do you imagine the China trade issue playing uh, both for Trump and for for the other side? I mean, do do you get a sense of what the public's uh, view on this? People always see Trump as an outlier, and, you know, once he's gone, everything's going to go back to... Uh, what it was, but is that you know is that the way you see it, or do you think this China confrontation that he has initiated is going to have lasting effects, even if he even if he did lose re-election uh, next year? Well, um, a new president could negotiate a much softer agreement and do what past presidents have done: expect, effectively accept Chinese assurances. Uh, they have failed in the past, right. but it, yep. effect, accept Chinese assurances and say, "You see, we solved the problem. It was all Trump's fault." Uh, they could do that. Uh, they would not have solved the problem. Um, yes, the friction is Trump's fault. He started this, and, and uh, presumably he wants to accomplish something. As far as the campaign is concerned, I doubt they could do much about uh, unless the economy suffered or people could ascribe some domestic problem that was linked to the China trade deal. Otherwise, I don't, as you say, it's outside my area of expertise. Right. But I would be hard pressed to see how that could be a campaign issue unless people were suffering and the farmers are a wild card. That's right. Well, don't forget to check out uh, Milton Ezrati's work on our website at www.city-journal.org. You can follow him on Twitter at at Milton Azrati. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at City Journal and on Instagram at City Journal underscore MI. And lastly, if you like our show and want to hear more of it, do us a favor and please leave ratings and reviews on iTunes. Thanks for listening and thanks a lot, Milton, for joining us. Today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.